Hi, I'm Pastor David Jones. Welcome to my sermon archives. For more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I pray God speaks to you as you listen. We are nearing the end of this series of sermons on pictures of the church in the Bible. This is number 13. We've got two to go. And we've looked at a lot of pictures, and today's picture is the last of the complete pictures that we're going to be spending an entire sermon on on one picture. And that is the church as the New Jerusalem, the city of God. So let's say our memory verse, repeat after me if you will, Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21, 27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. Nor anyone who practices anyone. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 21, 27. We are at the final scene of the Bible. It starts with God creating the world and then creating a place where He could be with His people. The Garden of Eden. And the Bible tells us God likes to come into the Garden of Eden and uh, walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And then, of course, they messed up, they disobeyed Him, uh, were expelled from the Garden of Eden, and the rest of the Bible story tells us throughout the Bible, including the time that we are living in now, of God's efforts to make it possible for people to come back to live with Him again. And so we come to the end of the Bible, the last two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22, are the final scene of the Bible in which That has been fully achieved. Of course, it was achieved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the results of that are finally played out at the end of time. And all the people who are willing to accept what God did for them through Jesus have been reached and have been saved. And the... The evil is gone and we have the the final scene. And so, I had you read most of uh, chapter 1. We already heard most of of chapter 21 and uh, the first part of chapter 22 that describes this. I want to set the scene for that a little bit by reading the part of chapter 21 that comes just before where we picked up. The I who is speaking is John, the apostle, who received this vision from Jesus toward the end of his life when he was 
uh, in more or less solitary confinement on the island of Patmos, uh, a Roman prison island. I don't know that he was solitary. There were probably others there with him, but but he was uh, confined on this prison island. And he had this vision and was able to write it down and get it out to us. And so he's had all of these apocalyptic visions of what's going to happen at the end of time. And at the beginning of uh, chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then it goes on where Brittany started reading. Then one of the seven angels said, Come and let me show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. As we've talked about in one of the previous sermons on this series, the bride of Christ is another common picture for the church. Many people understand the Old Testament book, the Song of Solomon, to have an allegorical meaning referring to the relationship between Jesus and his church, the the bridegroom and the bride. And so we see the bride is the church, and then the angel says, let me show you the bride, and he shows him the city. So the city then is another picture of the church. And that's what we want to look at a little bit this morning. And as we do, I'm going to be giving you some truths about it, but then I'm going to ask you to think and pray about some certain things uh, related to that and how that relates to our congregation as you go through. So the first point as we kind of mentioned when I talked about God creating the Garden of Eden, is that God loves people. I mean, that's why He made us. He made us because God's love is infinite and overflowing, and it overflowed the Trinity, and He wanted to share love beyond that, and so He created human beings. He created people 
to share that love with him. God loves people. And when you love somebody, you don't want to be separate. You don't want to be apart. God loves people and he wants to live with them. And the people that God wants to live with are the church. The people who want to be with him. The people who love him and want to follow him. Not the people who reject him. God loves the people who reject him. But they're not the ones he wants to live with. He doesn't want to force his presence on them. Because he gives them free will. The people who have freely chosen to be his people. Those are the ones he wants to live with. That's us. That's the church. So there are steps that we can take to prepare for God to come to be a part of the church. To come to live with us. And that's part of what we'll be talking about today and part of what we've been talking about all along. The... I am I'm constantly amazed at how much money people will spend on weddings. Now, a wedding is a, is a beautiful time, and it's an important time, but I believe I read some years ago that the average cost of a wedding is something like $10,000. Imagine what else could be done with that. When Paula and I got married... I think the the cost was uh, including her gown and everything. Paul is telling me six hundred dollars. We spent six hundred dollars. Half of that was for her gown, or a little more than half, and uh, some of it was for hall rental, and the rest of it uh, things were donated. Uh, we made the somebody in the family made the cake, made the flowers, uh, played friends played the organ. It was a beautiful time, and Paula was absolutely beautiful, almost as beautiful as she is today. But the, the point is that the bride of Christ needs to be prepared. If people can, can get that, spend that much money on a wedding, half of which don't last, how much more should we be preparing ourselves to be the bride of Christ? So God has told us what He's looking for. The golden city, the, the imagery, Song of Songs 4 actually, where I mention the Song of Songs that is sometimes allegorically seen as the uh, image the bride is... Uh, the church. In uh, chapter 4, verse 4, Solomon uses the imagery of a building to describe the beauty of his bride. He mentions a tower of Lebanon. As we go through the full description of this in the passages that we heard, Revelations 21 and the first part of 22, God wants his church to shine. The memory verse tells us there was nothing evil or shameful or dishonest, nothing dark or dirty in it. But it 
shone with the glory of gold and and uh, precious stones and pearls and just shining with the light of the of God shining out from within it. God wants us, His church, to radiate the glory of the manifest presence of God, of the presence of God that is so obvious that everybody can tell. The church, as God sees it, radiates the glory of His presence. It glows with the purity of the saints. It sparkles with the beauty of diversity. It's always light. And the light provides guidance for the world. Jesus said, let your light so shine that all will see your good works and give glory to God. What can we do as a church to shine brighter in this world? If you have a pencil and something comes to mind, write it down and share it later on. Uh, We can stick around and talk a little after the service or uh, as you're preparing for your new pastor or, or share it with me. What can we do as a church to shine brighter in this world? And what is one thing that you can do to make yourself shine brighter? Is there some dirt that you need to clean up in your life that is dulling God's shine? Is there some gift or ability that you aren't using to its fullest? That is really a gem-like part of you that you can polish more? Would you shine brighter if you had a stronger connection to the source of light in God? Pray and think about those things. The second thing that we see in this description of the glorious city that is the church is that God wants His church to be welcoming. Verse 16 says that it is 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles high. Now that is probably allegorical. I I don't actually think it's a, a literal cube, but it may be. Who knows? God can do anything. But if we take that, those figures, God put them there for a reason. And let's imagine that. That is the size of something that would stretch from Miami to Quebec. From Glacier uh, over to Glacier National Park in Montana, down to Hermosillo, Mexico, and back to Miami. That would be the footprint. And it would be 350 times higher than Mount Everest. The point is, not whether those are literal measurements, but the point is that there is plenty of room. Plenty of room for everyone. The Bible says that on the four walls, each one has three gates. There are twelve gates that are always open. Gates, it says, for every tribe, which means every denomination, every race, every worship preference, 
Everyone who follows Jesus in whatever way the Lord leads them to follow Him. Plenty of room in the church for everyone who is willing to come in the gates, which are always open. As we saw last week, Jesus said, I am the gate. You come through Jesus and He is always welcoming to those who are willing to come in. Now, at first glance, our memory verse doesn't maybe sound very welcoming. But it, because it says it's only, it's not for the evil ones and the idolaters and so on. It's only for those whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And of course, the Lamb is, is an image of Jesus. But the, the good news of the gospel is that God wants to write everyone's name in the book of life. Some interpretations believe the names are already written there and they get erased when people reject Jesus. But either way, God wants everyone's name in the book of life. And that includes idolaters and evil people and the, the ones that the memory verse says are excluded. They are welcome if they will just turn around, if they'll change their ways, which means repent, or that's what the meaning of the word repent, and come to Him. God wants His church to shine with His light. He wants it to be welcoming to everyone. So let's pray and think about how can we make our church more welcoming to new people? How can we uh, make a point of greeting them uh, without smothering them so much we scare them away, which sometimes happens in, in small churches. Uh, one good point is keeping the building look nice, uh, looking nice, which we just did before we had to close down with the repainting and the, the stained glass and so on. Praise the Lord for that. And think and pray about what you can do as an individual to help welcome more people into the church. The third point in the description is that the church has a wall. It has a wall. And it, has, it implies guards at the gates because there are certain ones that are not allowed in. And so that means some have to be, somebody's got to be keeping them out. The evil ones and the ones that won't come in the right way. A wall describes a clear division between, between those on the inside and those on the outside. And the Bible says the foundation of the wall, the foundation of the city, is the teaching of the apostles, which is the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christianity. God wants His church to know who it is. He wants us to know who we are and who we are not. There there is a difference between those who are God's people, who are in the church, who have chosen to follow Him, and those who have not. Anybody on the outside is welcome to come inside if they come through the gate of Jesus, but there is a difference. The church is different from the world. The church is called to do good things in the community, but it's not a civic organization. The church is called to help people succeed with their lives, but it's not a counseling center. The church is called to help people in trouble, but it's not a relief agency.
The church is the people who follow Jesus, built on the foundation of the teaching of the apostles, the apostles' creed, the basic foundational truths of the Bible, the relationship of a personal commitment to follow Jesus. Our memory verse tells us that nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. In other words, there are those who choose to disqualify themselves. We don't disqualify them. They disqualify themselves. And so we need to understand who we are as part of God's church and who we are as part of our church. Adam Hamilton, a United Methodist pastor up in the Kansas City area, wrote a book some years ago in which he said that every church member needs to be able to answer three questions. First, they need to understand and be able to tell their friends why do people need Jesus? In other words, why Christianity as opposed to some other religion? or just good intentions. We need to be able to tell why do people need to be involved in a church? And we need to say, why should people be involved in our particular church, in our particular congregation? What is it about our congregation that justifies us in inviting our friends to come here instead of just, in general, saying you ought to go to church. Going to any good Christian church is better than not going, but we do have reasons why we go to our church, and we want to be able to explain those as well. So pray and think about, As a church, are there things that we are doing that can better be done by other kinds of organizations? And if there are, then by doing these things, are we diverting energy and resources that should better be put to doing those things that only the church can do? And by the way, what are those things that only the church can do? that other organizations, no matter how good and well-intentioned, are just not able to do? What are the things that only the church can do? And are we doing them? Pray and think about, as an individual, can you answer Adam Hamilton's questions? If somebody was to ask you those questions... What one thing can you do to make sure you really understand what the church is and why it's so vitally important for people to be involved in a Christian church? The next point is that the church of the the city of God had this beautiful, wide, flat, broad avenue going down the center, paved with gold. And I see that indicating free and open movement and communication led by God's light. God wants His church to be free. So let's pray and think about, is our church broad and open, 
or is it narrow and constrained? When a new person comes to our church for the first time, do they feel free to be who they are? Do they feel free to worship God as they feel led to? Or do they feel pressured to do certain things and not do other things? Or dress a certain way? Or do their hair a certain way? And ask yourself, how do you personally contribute to this feeling, either of freedom or of pressure? And then ask yourself, how free do I personally feel? Is there something that is keeping you from doing something that you wish you could do? In or out of the church, but you feel like you just can't. It might be praying out loud, it might be telling somebody about Jesus, it might be uh, wearing your hair a different way that you think people wouldn't like, I don't know what it might be. And think about and ask God to show you one thing that you can do, one little step that you can take to get free from that. The last thing that we want to look at is the river flowing out of the city. It not only flows through the city, but it flows out the walls to the world. The river is bringing light to those outside the walls. And God wants His church to bring life to those outside our walls. It's a river bringing life to those outside the walls, lined with the tree of life, available all year round for those who will come in with healing in every leaf. God never intended for His people to keep their spiritual life and influence all cooped up inside a building. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on lampstand. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. So what can you do? Maybe you can support a missionary with prayers and money. Maybe you can speak up for Christian values in your workplace, or among your friends, or on social media. Maybe you can write letters to newspapers and public officials. Certainly there is someone God has put in your sphere of influence who doesn't go to church. I'm not asking you to judge whether or not they're a Christian. Just somebody that isn't regularly going to a church right now. Start praying for that person. Maybe ask them why they don't go to church. What their conception of church is. A few years ago, uh, the Barna Research Group did a survey of uh, people's perceptions of church. And they published it in a book called Unchristian. And the basic result was an awful lot of people have a perception of the church that says that people who go to church are not very good Christians. They don't act like people in the world think Christians ought to act like. They think they're judgmental. They think they're narrow. They think they're legalistic. Uh, and so... They think they're always asking for money. If you know somebody that doesn't go to church and you ask them why, 
what is their concept in the church? What do you think that it's like? And if what they don't like about church is different from our church, and just tell them, our church isn't like that. I like our church because. And then you say, why don't you join us this Sunday? I'll send you the link. I'll give you the telephone number. Or if it's the church is open, I'll pick you up. On the other hand, if they do have a legitimate complaint about churches and it's something that we are guilty of, please tell me so we can work on it. Pray and think, how can we as a church take the river of life beyond our four walls? This verse talks of good works. We already support the thrift shop and the ministerial association. We do many other things. Any other ideas? And personally, what one thing can you do? Or what one person can you focus on to take God's healing life beyond the four walls of our church building? God loves people and wants to be with them. God wants His church to shine. God wants His church to be welcoming. God wants His church to know who it is and who it isn't. God wants His church to be free. God wants His church to bring life to the world. So let us commit to pray and think, excuse me, and talk about how we can do those things better. Most of all, let's pray and think and talk about how we can make sure that people know how to keep their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's say our memory verse one more time. Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Revelation 21, 27. blessed you. Again, I'm Pastor David Wentz, and for more audio sermons, books, blog posts, and other goodies, please visit www.pastordavidwentz.com. That's spelled W-E-N-T-Z. And follow me on Facebook or LinkedIn. May God bless you as we do Christianity together. See you next time.